tonight, we're actually going to be starting the year off with a series. We're going to be focusing on John chapter 10. So if you do have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and open them there and, and get ready for that. The title of our series is The Lord is My Shepherd. The Lord is My Shepherd. That comes from Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so we're going to be focusing in on what that verse means and tying it into John chapter 10 uh, for the next few weeks here together. I'm, I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us. Why don't we just go real quick to the Lord in a word of prayer before we begin. Thank you, Jesus, for this night. Thank you for uh, finally bringing us all together so we can hear the word of the Lord as a youth group, as, as this little body that's a part of this, this much larger body. And God, I believe that you have placed a word on my heart for somebody in here tonight. I pray that every heart, mind, and soul would take these next few moments seriously and, and closely consider just what it means to have you as our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, enough with all the serious stuff. I need a volunteer. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Enrique, come on up here. Why don't you stand behind the table for a second? So we're going to be we're going to be talking about John chapter 10, but in order to truly understand John chapter 10, we must have an understanding of John chapter 9. And so we're going to do like a real quick like tour through John chapter 9. It's just going to take a few few moments here, but we're going to have a little lesson here involving oh Enrique. <laughs> so John chapter 9, if you don't know, is actually the story of the blind man. And Jesus and his disciples are walking through a city, and they notice this blind man um, on the ground. And the disciples ask Jesus this question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, if you remember from the time we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, you will remember that uh, in that time, in biblical times, your condition was closely related to, your physical condition was closely related to your spiritual condition. And so people would just automatically assume if you were blind or if you're like the one with the issue of blood or if you're lame, that, that you clearly did something to offend God and that he struck you in that way. And so this man was blind from birth. And so they're confused about that, like little theology that they had. And they're wondering how on earth could he have been blind from birth and it be him? Because he wasn't born yet. He was blind at birth. It must have been his parents, but they didn't really know. And so Jesus uses this man as a lesson for our text tonight. And instead of really answering their question, are you prepared for this? The Bible says that Jesus walked up to the blind man, and it says that he spit on the ground. And he made mud with his spit. Why don't you lean over a little bit? In the water? Yeah. <laughs> Close your eyes. And Jesus literally took the mud that he made with his spit and he rubbed it into the blind man's eyes. And his next instruction was to go and to wash. You can use the water now. No, don't. You don't have to dunk your face in. Just clean your eyes off. There's mud into you. And so, so he tells him to go and wash, and the blind man washes the mud off of his eyes, and lo and behold, he receives his sight. 
Do I have it all up? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't quite all the way, so you still needed glasses. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so the blind man gets mud rubbed in his eyes. He washes his eyes, and he receives his sight. Well, after Jesus heals the blind man in this way, the, it, it really created quite a uh, public disturbance. Um, the Pharisees were really upset with what Jesus had done because what Jesus did, it wasn't what he did, it was when he did it. He actually healed the man on the Sabbath. And it was Jewish law that you did not do anything on the Sabbath, any work of any kind. You, could, you couldn't even walk a certain amount of mileage in a day without it being considered work. So it was literally a day of rest. And so they were, they, they were really upset about this. And the Pharisees wouldn't stop pestering the once blind man with questions because they were so hung up on the fact that Jesus did this and violated the Sabbath. And the real reason why they were doing this is because they were looking for someone to punish for this action, whether it be Jesus or the blind man. So they keep asking him, asking him questions in order to find a reason to throw this man outside of the temple. Now at that time they had just come up with a rule that anybody who would confess Jesus as being God could not enter the temple. And so that's what they're trying to get this blind man to say. And they continue to ask him probing questions trying to trick him into proclaiming Jesus as being God and the blind man fends off their questions for quite some time until we arrive at John 9.33. And in John 9.33, the blind man says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now that statement right there was enough. They at least got the blind man to imply that Jesus was in some way, shape, or form from God. And so immediately they said, you, you're blind, you were born blind and you think you're going to teach us a thing or two? They threw him outside of the temple. Now, Jesus caught wind of this. And so in John chapter 9, verse 35, we'll pick up the story there for a moment. I'll just read a couple of these verses to you. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. And so Jesus is drawing some distinction between being blind and having sight in these past couple of verses. And that's really going to set up our story for tonight, beginning with John uh, chapter 10, verse 1. And we'll read those first three verses together as we dive into our message here. And Jesus is continuing his conversation at this point, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What this short passage is really explaining for us tonight is, is what a true spiritual leader looks like. If the spiritual leader enters through the door, he is the shepherd that God has provided for that flock of sheep. He's going to go about things the right way. He's going to be biblical. He's going to be caring. He's going to be committed to the sheep. And he will be easily verified as the one who cares for those sheep. He's doing it the right way. But anyone who tries to enter the other way is considered to be like a thief and a robber. They can't come through the door because the doorkeeper is not going to let them in. Because he can verify, you're not the shepherd that dropped those sheep off. And so now they're going to try to find another way in. They're not legit enough to enter through the door, so they sneak through elsewhere. Now, it's very interesting, these two words, thief and robber, they're actually two different words that are being used here. Thieves, and, and I'm not going to go completely through the Greek, but this is just the simple Greek definitions for you. Um, they would steal by stealth, usually at night. They did not want to be seen or heard. They had a very passive approach to what they were doing. Robbers, on the other hand, were quite the opposite. They would steal by force. They were much more open and arrogant in their approach. They would be like kind of like highwaymen, stopping chariots on their way, holding people at knife point and, you know, give us all your money. They didn't care if they were seen. They were proud of their wrongdoing. They had a very aggressive approach. And Jesus used this illustration to show the difference between those who care for our souls and those who have other motives. And if we look at Ezekiel 34, we will find that there's um, even more light to be shed on this topic. So you can turn there with me. Um, otherwise, we can use the screen. But we'll start with Ezekiel 34, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 here, and it's going to kind of help shed some light on just what's happening here tonight. So Ezekiel 34, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You, sla you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Do you see what's happening here? This is a prophesy over all the shepherds of Israel. It's a prophesy of past shepherds that were abusive, past kings, past uh, false prophets and different things. And it was also a prophecy over the future, obviously over the future as well, and even in, in our text today. What this verse is pointing out is that they're shepherds by their title. But according to their actions, they're nothing more than thieves and robbers. They feed themselves, not the sheep. They clothe themselves with wool and kill the sheep. They don't strengthen the weak, heal the sick, or bind up the injured. They were called to protect and care for God's people, 
but they're robbers because instead of doing everything within their power to protect God's people, they take all the resources and use it all for themselves. And in the process, they end up losing the sheep that they were called to protect and keep together. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to call out here before the Pharisees in John chapter 10. They were very religious. They looked the part. They carried the title. But all of it was a lie. It was all a scandal. They weren't in it to care for the well-being of God's people. They were in it for status, money, and the well-being of themselves. They were strict with rules and regulations. They monetized the sacrificial system, which meant they got rich off of other people's mistakes. And many of the poor couldn't afford a blood sacrifice. Ironically, the word shepherd in the Greek that's being used in this verse means feed and protect. I think we can all agree that these religious, religious leaders were doing anything but that. This is made clear in, in our story of the blind man. They were obsessed with Jesus breaking their Sabbath rules rather than the miracle of the blind man receiving his sight. They were looking for someone to pay the price, and in typical Pharisee fashion, it was the weak and lowly sheep that they did not care for, and they cast him out from the temple. They cast him out from what should have been the flock. So what is God's response to this? Well, we're going to skip a few verses. We're going to stay in Ezekiel 34 here. We'll read verses 11 through 16. This is God's response, okay? I know this is a lot of scripture, but if you just really focus and listen and follow along, you're really going to get the meaning out of this. So God's response, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel." There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. Now here's the key verse. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. And now he changes here. He was just talking about all of the sheep. Now he's talking about somebody else. And I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Think about that for a second. Those are powerful words to be prophesied. Jesus is living out this very prophecy before us. He is the answer to this prophetic word exactly to a T. God coming to earth to be the shepherd of his own sheep. No longer will he leave his sheep in the hands of selfish men who are only in it for themselves. He will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak, seek the lost, and finally, he will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them justice. While the Pharisees were stuffing their faces and patting their pockets with, with the spoils of God's people, God was cooking up a hot meal called judgment. He's literally saying, I'm going to spoon feed you some judgment. 
He was going to destroy all the religious systems, all their selfishness, and all their pride. No longer would people have to live by the pharisaical laws and regulations that only benefited the religious systems. Now they got to live by a new shepherd that would feed them and protect them through his grace and his mercy. That brings us up to verse 4 in our text tonight. It says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. When we consider this illustration, we must confront some important historical information that's going to help us to clarify and understand what's happening here. During this time period, the sheepfold would have been a courtyard-like structure. It would have been tall stone walls. I wish I had a picture of it. And they would have had um, like briars and leaves and branches covering the top. And in some cases, shepherds would drop their sheep off and the doorkeeper would watch over the doorway while the shepherd would go about his business for that day. And oftentimes you would have multiple shepherds dropping off their sheep around the same time. So you would inevitably have numerous amounts and groups of sheep all intermingling with each other. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, the first thing that comes to mind is that brings up a very big problem. How do you tell them apart? How on earth do you tell them apart? Well, in order to better understand the shepherd, we must understand the nature of the sheep. Did you know that sheep actually have great eyesight? They have incredible peripheral vision. And they can see side to side all around them but they actually lack in depth perception. This eyesight gives them a great advantage for spotting danger, but their weakness is being able to focus on something that is right in front of them. Because of this, they don't rely heavily on eyesight to follow their shepherd, and they require a different mode of direction. That is why they have an even better sense of hearing Sheep have such a keen sense of hearing that even amidst all the chaos of multiple flocks and shepherds gathering up into one fold, the sheep know their shepherd's voice so well that they will naturally follow it, separating from the rest of the sheep. And in many ways, we are very similar. We have incredible peripheral vision, but we lack depth perception. We have a great sense of all the chaos that is ensuing around us, but we lack attention on what is standing directly in front of us. Because of this, our great vision that was meant to protect us, we end up using to get us into all kinds of trouble. It's so easy to become distracted by endless amounts of drama and uh, Twitter and Netflix relationships, other people's relationships, politics if you're into that at that age already. There's all kinds of things. There's wars going on. There's so much distraction around us. And this is why we need to focus our efforts on hearing. Because walking by sight causes us to wander and get into messes. But when you hear, it's an entirely different ballgame. Because now you are walking by faith and not by sight. And how do we receive faith? Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
Literally, the root system of your Christian walk that keeps you through to the end comes from hearing and hearing from his word. But we can't stop there because nowhere in Scripture will you ever find a passive faith. Faith is always active. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. We cannot just be hearers. We must be obedient to the word of God. Sheep hear their shepherd's voice and immediately they follow. They hear and they act. And we are foolish if we don't practice the same thing. So how do we know if we are connected to the shepherds in our life? I've got five practical points. There's a couple of subpoints in there. So if you want to write this down, feel free. Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's the most important one. If not, or if you feel like your relationship hasn't been all that real, well, you're in the right place. This all comes through belief that he exists and the faith in the work that he accomplished on the cross. And because of that, you're going to obey scripture and you're going to follow the guidance of his voice. And your faith will be so genuine that it produces obedience. Number two, do you know, hear, and trust the voice of your pastor? Primarily, I'm talking about Pastor Soto, Pastor Hoffman. Then we also have the associate pastor team, which I'm included in that as your youth pastor. But primarily focusing on Pastor Soto and Pastor Hoffman for a moment. When tough decisions are being made, do you get anxious and critical about the decisions your pastor is making? Do you get offended by them? Or do you look past your feelings and trust the heart of your pastor? Because you don't know all the details, nor do you need all the details. You just need to trust his decision. Number three. Do you hear your pastor's voice? This is very practical, and it might sound kind of childish, but literally, I'm just saying. Could you pick out his voice in a crowd? Would it grab your attention? Is it exciting for you when he greets you after service and strikes up a conversation? Or is it more depressing? That's kind of the litmus test, if you really respect and know his voice. Number four. Do you obey the word of God? After your pastor is done preaching, do you respond to the altar call? Does the word of God convict you, whether through preaching or through times of personal study, and cause you to desire change in your life? And number five, are you obedient to your parents, who are also shepherds over your life, and will one day give an account for your soul, much like your pastor's? Or are you argumentative? Are you stubborn? Do you fight against them? Or do you submit and honor them? If you can't admit to any of these being active in your life, then you're most likely not connected to your shepherds. If you can answer yes to some of these, well, then you're connected and you need to continue growing in that connection and protecting that connection. My final point for tonight the vision of the Pharisees. Verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So Jesus gives this basic illustration, and the Pharisees are completely clueless as to what it means. They were totally lost. To them, this just sounded like a simple statement about the occupation of a shepherd. 
This was a very common role. It was a very common job in that day. And so for Jesus to hear this, it just sounded like a random out of the blue statement. It would maybe sound kind of like this. This is, this is the best I could come up with, okay? But it'll get the point across. So for example, people who enter through the doors of the church are attenders who will come and go as they please. And anyone who busts through the windows are vandalizing church property and could end up arrested. If you're quizzing me about things and I just say that out of the blue, are you going to understand what that means? Probably not. You're going to look at me like, okay, somebody's a little crazy. Somebody didn't think this through. You maybe be a little lost because you're not familiar with the information to support any deeper understanding to that statement that I just said. But the problem is that the Pharisees prided themselves on how much they knew from the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with Ezekiel 34, which we just read through. They did have some background information to connect what Jesus was saying, to have a deeper understanding. They were smart, well-versed men who prided themselves on their knowledge, but they could not put two and two together. Why is that? Let's go back to the final verses of John chapter 9. John 9, 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, you can almost hear them laughing under these words, Are we also blind? Clearly we can see. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Why didn't the Pharisees understand Jesus? Because they were more blind spiritually than the physically blind man himself. They thought they knew everything. They knew every scripture, every verse, every prayer. They were at every church service. And their entire lives revolved around the temple. They thought they had it all figured out but they couldn't see what was standing right in front of them. The fulfillment of the prophecy, the good shepherd who has come to give sight to the blind, food to the hungry, strength to the feeble, and salvation to the lost. They stored up wells of information, but because they had an attitude of pride, they could not receive revelation. What's interesting about the reality of this story tonight is that everyone in it was blind except for Jesus. And I'm not talking physically anymore. I'm talking spiritually blind because even the blind man, after he received his sight, he still needed Jesus to reveal himself to him to receive spiritual sight. What set the blind men and the Pharisees apart wasn't their spiritual condition, but it was their heart behind their condition. The blind man was humbled by his condition and it led to his eyes being opened and a revelation of who Jesus was. The Pharisees were hardened by their blinding, prideful condition and thinking they had no need for any further revelation in their hearts. Their hearts became stone. They were unshakable, unmovable, and there was no sign of spiritual life whatsoever. They were blind to Jesus, their faults, and their true need for a Savior. You would stand with me tonight. Now that we've covered all of this, think about it for a moment. 
reflect on it for a moment here. Do you line up with any of this information? If you do, then you've got some blind spots in your life. You've got some things that that you need to look over and take inventory of. Some of you tonight might be thinking, what about me? What about me? I've looked over the recent track record of my life and I can see signs of every single thing you've talked about. I'm critical and prideful. I argue constantly with my parents. I don't respect the voice of my pastor. I ignore wise counsel. I'm unsubmitted and immovable at an altar call. And I feel as though I have no spiritual pulse whatsoever. I am that Pharisee that you're talking about. What about me? Well, are you going to be like the vast majority of the Pharisees found in Scripture who thought they knew everything? Who thought their sight, their vision, their insight, their knowledge was all that they needed? Or are you going to be like another Pharisee who was similar to all the Pharisees that I just referenced? Except this Pharisee was far more gruesome than all others ever recorded in biblical history. Because while all the others were very passive like thieves, this one was hyper-aggressive, much like a robber. In fact, Scripture tells us that he literally breathed threats of murders against the disciples. He would kill many Christians in an attempt to silence the spread of the gospel, and he showed absolutely no sign of slowing down. That is until this fateful day, right after the stoning of the deacon Stephen, this man was on his way with a mission to Damascus to hunt down more Christians when suddenly Jesus appears to him so brightly, so gloriously, that it shakes this man to his core and he buckles down to his knees before Jesus. He still doesn't know exactly who he is yet, but he's trembling and he closes his eyes because he can't bear to look at him. And in that moment, he was also blinded from the impact of that light. His eyes would no longer do him any good. He has to rely on faith rather than sight. Then he hears it, a voice he no doubt recognizes immediately. He remembered that voice. He remembered that voice ringing through the streets. He remembered that voice crying out in the temples. He remembered that voice preaching on the countryside. And he hears him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He then re re replies by asking a question that he clearly already knows the answer to. So this wasn't as much of a question as it was a confession. And he says, who are you, Lord? Lord, is that really you? Is that you who's standing before me? Blind Saul could for the first time hear the true voice. It wasn't the voice of a blasphemer anymore. It wasn't the voice of a man that he hated. It was the voice of a man that he loved. It was the voice of his shepherd. And he would follow the leading of that voice all throughout the New Testament 
writing all these books that we have to draw from, protecting the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, correcting churches, and now we get to draw from those same words and that same correction. So my final question for you on this first search service in 2023 is this. Can you honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd? Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt who my shepherd is? Can you say that? Let's deeply consider this tonight. This area is your altar. Let's pray. 